The following podcast episode is an interview with Anneke Lucas about her experience as a child sex slave in a high-level elite pedophile ring. Some of the content of this episode can be intense and disturbing for some people to listen to. Hence, I want to give a trigger warning. However, what I found most inspiring about Aneka's story is her healing journey over the years, her strength of spirit and her courage to speak out about this very important topic publicly. I have a lot of respect for Aneke. She's an incredible, inspiring, authentic human being who has helped shine light into the darkest corner of humanity with the message of hope and that we can overcome anything. Before we start, I also want to let everyone know that enrollment and applications are now open for our next round of our private group coaching program, Embodied Soul Awakening. It is a 14-week in-depth program of psycho-spiritual work based on the fourfold approach of holistic self-work, combining deep inner work in context of the outer work in light of the evolution of consciousness and the immense changes humanity are going through. The program starts on December 26, 2022 until April 3, 2023. If you want to learn more about it and apply, go to thetimeoftransition.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast. Today, we are host, Bernhard Gunther, and I have a very, very special guest, and even, I would say, an old friend coming on this podcast, and it's Anneke Lucas, and she just released her book, Quest for Love, Memoir of a Child Sex Slave. So, this is a heavy topic we're going to dive into, and... Some many people may be already aware of my audience who, you know, I've talked about before your case. And before we dive into it, um, I really wanted to share that, you know, we have been connected already since early to like 2012, 13, we first connected. And I want to just give the audience quick the, the backstory because I remember when I did a lot of research in my work as well, looking into the dark side, pedophilia, elite pedophile networks, and all of that satanic ritualistic abuse, which is not an easy topic to research at all, right? It is not for the faint-hearted. Um, but I remember in 2011, I came across a German documentary with English subtitles about a ritual, sexual ritual abuse in France, a pedophile ring. And that also included interviews with with three different of the child victims. And it was very disturbing, very revealing. But I'm also like, we need to make the darkness conscious. We need to be able to talk about it to show what's really going on. And I remember around that time when I posted, you, contact, uh, you actually commented on the post and then we started messaging and we started actually talking on the phone uh, before you came out more publicly about your story. And we had a great connection. And you, I remember sharing some of the details, very horrifying um, of your own experience. But then in 2014, you wrote an article, I forgot the title, but it was on the Elephant Journal article, we kind of came out with, with your own experience. And that kind of like opened the floodgates. And, and I remember also in our communications 2012-13, that you were saying that we were in the process of writing a book. And I think this is, this is it right now. And I also want to mention really quick, because you said like you already wrote most of it around 2004 right? It's in your introduction. But 
even the publisher back then, oh, this is too heavy. <laughs> We're not ready for this. But with the times we're in right now, and that's like I like to say, even the silver lining, with the craziness what's going in the world, like there's so much craziness. We know that right now and and darkness, but it's coming up to the light. And, you know, it's almost an opportunity, I see, to bring us up your experience, what you have shared and what's really going on in the world. So, you know, I really want to talk about the content of the book, what you've been through and all of that, but also most importantly, your healing journey. So with this longer introduction, <laughs> I'm really happy. I'm really uh, uh, grateful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, yes, it's my pleasure. Yes, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Excellent. Beautiful. So I want to also like give like fair warning in a sense, you know, what you even wrote in the book, the important notice, you know, there's a general trigger warning for intense materials such as extreme child neglect, sadism, sex trafficking, and dra graphic description of sexual, physical abuse, violence, and murder. You know, so I want to give a fair warning because it can, for certain people, evoke a trigger, you know. Um, but I think it is important to bring these this story to light. So, you know, basically the way you frame this is like from your own experience, it's like really coming face to face with what you call the world's greatest cure, curse, which is the abuse of power. And, you know, how powerful people have been abused. And it starts probably, the abuse of power starts right away with your mother, <laughs> who basically kind of, you know, gave you over to this elite pedophile ring. So maybe let's 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 um, give the audience, you know, who are not familiar, uh, and kind of over your experiences of this elite pedophile ring in Belgium, how it started, and also eventually how you escaped or got released. Oh, thank you. I'll try. Um, so, yes, I was um, born in Belgium in 1963, and my mother was single, um, and we were in Brussels. So the first three years, uh, she did start to abuse me immediately uh, after birth, and um, but she also um, had a job and so gave me to a caretaker every day who was very loving. So I had this dichotomy, uh, the mother who was abusive, extremely dangerous, and then the caretaker who was actually very loving and uh, very caring. So I had both the, um, the sense of what it's like to be human, being adored, being loved, being cared for particularly, and being able to be myself, if you will. And then there was this um, mother who was constantly projecting and where I had to be something else. And that was either powerfully evil or some bland extension of my mother's greatest fears. So um, I lived with that split from the beginning. And um, my mother married when I was three. So I lost the caretaker. We moved to the Flemish part of the country and It was a few years later that um, she started to, uh, she she didn't, it sort of happened accidentally more than anything, I would say, that it did happen. Uh, there was a woman that infiltrated in our family who was a, 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 a recruiter for the network, mm -hmm. and she and her husband ended up being the ones to take me to the first orgy, so they were working for the network pretty much in the typical way that this used to happen, people infiltrating in families and then sort of end up taking the children. And they spent a year uh, of grooming before they took me 
So it took me to all sorts of outings from age five to two, six, mm -hmm. um, all sorts of outings that I never liked them. I never liked, uh, wanted to go, but uh, it was convenient for my mother who had um, a young child who had my brother. So um, after a year, I was taken to the first orgy by those people. And then somehow my mother took over from them. When I tried to tell my mother what had happened, she tried to take over. So those years, um, five and a half years to be exact, I say five years, six years, um, in the network from age six to 11, I um, was subjected. So it was in the Belgian network. So first I was considered a throwaway child, if you will. That's to say that my, my mother had given me up so anybody could do anything. And that included killing if they wanted. Mm. Um, so that didn't quite happen. And I, I was though in situations where that was made very clear that it could happen. And um, at age nine, then I was traded um, up to somebody from an, the, the, the international network that the, the Belgian politician who was the head of the Belgian pedophile network was Paul van der Buenans. He was then minister of national defense. Mm -hmm. He was also prime minister of Belgium twice. So he was the big boss, let's say the mafia boss of the network. He, he gave me to um, an international networker, uh, someone who was a um, very famous uh, international billionaire. And I, um, by miracle, I would say that man took an interest in me and then had me mind control trained in order for me to become his personal sex slave spy mm -hmm. was creating a platform for me to be a famous French actress singer from age nine to 10. I was being trained for those things all the time. Um, and then I went against him uh, after a year. Uh, so again, this, this training uh, was both, um, I was both getting attention that I'd always needed Mm -hmm. And being considered special, and, and so there so was part of you. Part of you trusted these people, right, because of the lack of love you experienced in your childhood. Right. And right. this person you're referring to is it by any chance this protagonist uh, you named Patrick? Is that the no. guy? That was no, somebody else. This was someone else. This was someone I I refer to as the big shot. Mm -hmm. That was an international, like famous name kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, who was internationally known, and that. The boss of the network wanted to um, give me to that person around, and this was surrounding the Bilderberg meeting in Belgium in 1972. Wow. That happened. So mm -hmm. the Belgians, the Belgian networkers, did an, an, a, a ritual, mm -hmm. satanic ritual, in honor of this person. Mm -hmm. And so one child was killed at this ritual, and I uh, was raped. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, like in, in light of William, um, this is really intense information, like just sharing that, you know, and I read in your book, I mean, even just understanding basic trauma, obviously, when you were younger and then quote unquote, escaped, you also had to obviously disassociate, blocked out all these memories that were gone, right? I mean, that's anybody who understands trauma, you know, this too is actually a necessary um, survival defense mechanism to disassociate. There's nothing wrong with it. We need that, you know, that kind of helped you survive, right? 
I did that anyway, absolutely. I went to school during the week quite often. And then eventually the mind control training uses that specifically. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. To make so sure that, that you will not remember and puts in programs, in fact, that if you start to remember, that's called suicide programming, that if you start to remember that you either mm. think you're crazy and will be treated as crazy, or you think you have to kill yourself and that yeah. that that is so very common so it's used the the, the mm -hmm. awareness of trauma and the awareness of uh, the the, psycho the psychological awareness of the people who were involved in this mind control training is extreme right. yeah, that makes sense i mean this is the mk ultra type of programming they use it obviously to protect themselves it makes yes. sense and then you could go home to your mom and like oh live your regular life and then you know yeah. and then even not realizing what's going on with her you know kind of like right. The, the absolute denial basically until she uh she she does it again so yes con continue mm -hmm. yeah that's right yeah so i was in that uh like say i call it the seat of power let's say those people who are behind the scenes um the most powerful people in the world who were controlling everything the culture you know completely yeah and uh, very happy to have that control let's say um and then someone who was then making me into his personal slave. So um, so let's just say that it was for a supposedly a great honor, um, mm. but it was also very dark. So um, eventually I turned against my owner and then I got completely rejected, uh, instantly and violently rejected, reprogrammed mm -hmm. and uh, to sort of, thrown back into the network, into the Belgian, you know, the smaller, let's say the smaller branch of the network back to Belgium. And which is where my book really starts is when I met um, this young gangster who then one year later, after, you know, again, grooming me and then abusing me very badly, set me, got me out of the network. Mm -hmm. That's the character Patrick I just mentioned. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah, in your book. All yes. right. Interesting. So... I also want to mention, because I remember that you mentioned this uh, even when we talked about uh, years ago, but you mentioned in your book as well, this famous case of Marc Dutro. I hope I pronounced it correctly, like, it kind of like came up in 1996 about like Belgian pedophile rings, but he seems to be a smaller fish, but kind of linked into all these elite, elite pedophile rings. And that's came, I think, maybe the first disillusionment or the coming face to face with the reality of the situation, because... Um, this case eventually got dismissed, right? Because uh, all these high-ranking people, like you know, the, um, was almost deliberately derailed by the uh, Belgian justice, right? So, what is your in uh, basic experience or relationship to like this case and not in not being able to bring it out to justice because everybody's kind of like in it, so to speak? Uh, yes, thank you. Yeah, so it's the Dutrou in French, D-U-T-R-O-U-X. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the pimp for the network who got caught um, when basically four bodies of child of, of girls were found in Belgium. Mm -hmm. And he uh, had sort of started to operate a little bit differently from the other pimps who used to infiltrate into families, as was done with me. He had gone and kidnapped children. But then he had no place to keep them except his own homes. And so he had literally constructed dungeons in his homes to keep those children. Wow. And then um, 
some children died in there when he was, you know, doing a little stint in 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 jail. Actually, so two two of the girls died during that time of starvation. So Marc Dutroux was caught in 1996, and it was a big thing in Belgium and all of Europe, really. It was also here in the U- U.S. It was just written about, at least in the New York Times and so forth. Huge scandal. Everyone was speaking about the network because Marc Dutroux himself said he had put people in high places that would protect him as soon as he was caught. And then um, he changed his tune pretty, cl- pretty soon after. And then one of the defendants... In the Dutroux case was Michel Nihoul. So there were four defendants. It was Marc Dutroux, his wife, Michel Martin, a young heroin addict called Michel Lelievre, and then finally Michel Nihoul. And Michel Nihoul was higher up in the network than Marc Dutroux. And Michel Nihoul was active when I was being trafficked in the network. And he is the person who I name in, the bo- in my book. And he also... Um, you know, was always from the moment I started seeing him, which was like 72, 73, he was always the middle person. He was a real brown nose. He really loved Paul van den Boenans, who was the minister, was basically the head of the network. He was a small time businessman and then used his connections from the network to whatever scams that he was doing. But he was always called a Brussels businessman, he was very active in many capacities in the network and he was caught and then he basically was let off on the most important charge that was complicity in the kidnappings of these victims. Hmm. So he basically, what happened basically, what I remember that one of the witnesses, they didn't believe her basically or was just, you know, was just thrown under the rug. So basically that's kind of how these, these obviously everybody, every, just uh, <laughs> judges bought for basically, you know, to dismiss cases like that. That's why it's so hard to expose it, I would say, right? That's yeah, I, yeah, that case and that case was a big one because there suddenly the whole world was speaking about the mm. elite pedophile network in Belgium. So it was more open than any other network ever was. And I think it did a lot to the country of Belgium in the sense that to suppress that again took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yes, the victim's testimonies was all cut off from the case mm-hmm. before, but then they went public. So then then it was a big you know, job to suppress their believability in the press. Um, that was done very you know very um, effectively but with mocking and um, you know, of course ridiculing and 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 also calling um, them crazy. And then it took eight years for the case to go to trial. And by that time, 30 people died who had any kind of physical evidence wow. regarding um, the existence of the the, the the greater network. So by the time Mark Dutroux was tried, it was a one-person case, or it was like him mm-hmm. and his companions that was that were tried. Only Michelle Nihul was really the link to the, the greater network, and then he was let off by the judge, even though the jury found a majority of the jury found him guilty. Mm. for complicity in the kidnapping, which was the most serious charge he had. And then that majority wasn't great enough. So the judge had to make a decision and he decided that he was not guilty. Wow. Yeah, that's that's how it works, how they protect themselves. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about more your experience and we go later, definitely because what I find personally most inspiring in your story is your healing journey. And, you know, because that's really what it's all about, because 
you know, in the face of evil, uh, we can easily fall even like, yeah, there's a victim, but if you get stuck in the victim place, you can never truly heal, right? That's kind of almost a paradox in a sense, right? And then really like going on this journey and, and it's a spiritual journey as well, uh, which is really inspiring. But, you know, the, with your case, I mean, like you just mentioned, Bilderberg Group, I mean, this high-end, high-elite uh, pedophile ring with p people in positions of high power obviously have come across people who are very, very well-known in the public, right? And it's obviously very controversial, as you write, because it involves public people and politis, politis, politicians' positions of high power. And remember in our private conversation, you mentioned some names here and there. So how did you go about in your own you know, talking about it, what to choose, like who to name, who not to name, and you know, pseudonym, it can be very tricky. Like it's, it's also within you the need, like I need to expose this person, but then if you would do it, nobody would believe you anyway in, in all this internal struggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking that question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, the reason I want to name people is actually not to expose them so much as the reason that I want to talk altogether, which is like, why shouldn't I be able to tell my story? Mm -hmm. You know, and those people are supporting characters in my story. Right. I want to be able to name who they are just because they were there. Yes. And I recognize them and I have no doubt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that is the whole, it is, of course, very tricky. Um <laughs> uh, in 2016, so that article was 2014, and 2013 was the first time I, I had an interview where I just basically answered the question uh, that, that was about my work in the prisons. Um, but I was asked the question, I answered it, and then the article was titled, um, you know, former child sex slave, you yeah. know, brings yoga to prisons. You know, that was like the, the, the coming out really it was just that I had reached a point where I'm said where I said, okay, now I'm ready. I just answered the question and it was out there on a small scale, you know. In 2016, though, a, a short black and white video that I that I had agreed to do, where I speak about the Belgian network, went viral. Yeah, I remember that. Immediately, yeah. very strange things started to happen. Mm -hmm. People showing up my my doorstep. <laughs> um, weird things electronically. Weird th weird things were happening as mm -hmm. well. And, you know, those are all tactics that we, you know, it's just everything has sort of helped me to become stronger, if you will. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, I was approached by a lawyer, uh, someone who's actually in my spiritual uh, group, with, um, you know, a meditation group, someone who really meant well, someone in California, who uh, wanted to, to help me uh, file a lawsuit against this big shot, you know, the international big shot who, um, so I would be filing a lawsuit against that estate of a very big name family mm -hmm. for um, this, the, all the counts of sexual abuse that had happened. So uh, sexual abuse and more. So I, and because uh, there had been abuse here in New York, it was going to be filed here in New York. And we needed a New York lawyer, but we then sent a, a draft of the complaint to the lawyers hmm. or, uh, directly to, you know, the, the the air, let's say. And as soon as that happened, many things started to happen. So because then, of course, if that lawsuit would be filed, that name would be public. Right. And the reason I went along with this, it wasn't my idea, but the reason I thought it would be a good thing to do 
was because it would be, I thought it would be a safe way to name this person. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't looking forward to being involved in a lawsuit yeah. at all and getting that kind of attention, you know, that kind of sense. Already there's enough sensation around my story that is yeah. um, unpleasant, very unpleasant for me, and it's easy to do and it's not respectful. Well, that's to say there's going to be so much more sensation and there's going to be such a big machine put yeah. in motion to discredit me then. So what happened during that year, really, that was supposedly the preparation to this lawsuit was uh, quite amazing. You know, the infiltration that happened, the people that I would meet. And then, of course, I'm been, I've been mind control trained as well. Mm-hmm. So I would say, hmm, if I... If I, you know, would be on the, I always like to think from the perpetrator's perspective, what they would do. And so I would get people in my life, suddenly show up in my life. Um, You know, they know your weak spots, they find your weak spots. And mine was that I was very um, inclined to support survivors no matter what. And so they sent someone to me who was in my survivor group, uh, my SRA survivor group, who um, became active. who, you know, connected with me and sort of manipulated me into um, being there for her, but also talking uh, a lot about her experiences with that perpetrator and that family and so forth, and then sort of concocted a story that she was back involved with that family as a sort of a double agent. Mm. And um, supposedly she wanted to help the case and bring some real evidence forward. And so she wanted to fish to see how much evidence we had. Wow. And, and also how many other survivors mm-hmm. there were, because I wasn't the only survivor coming right. forward. So I'm interested. So this woman, uh, this supposedly SRA, also a satanic ritual abuse victim, because yeah. that's how they, you know, they want to, um, got infiltrated did she was she also an mk ultra victim does run, running her program with you or did she do this consciously well she was running her program with me yeah. so she was doing the things that i was trained to do okay there, there you go so you then eventually saw that because of your own i i felt it yeah i felt it from the beginning so i was cautious but not that cautious because emotionally she kind of had me on my mm. weak spot which was right. that i'm going to support survivors so it go. took a while for me to to untangle but i did learn a lot from that experience of being infiltrated by someone who was trained like myself and something i can say of it is that we are grounded in reality right we are grounded in physical in the relative reality of the physical so that is very important and when we have any kind of feelings and attachments they should be grounded in physical reality so when someone shows up who's mind control trained or the same as if an actor is uh, is acting a part there is the emotions are all there, mm-hmm. but it's not grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And that is the difference. It seems very real mm-hmm. in the moment. So any kind of psychopath or any kind of narcissist really who goes to work and seduces someone, for example, they will be emotionally very credible because they yeah. believe it in the moment, except mm-hmm. it's not rooted in reality. And the reality yeah. is, of course, everything else that's going on. Yeah. And they can also, you know, really high IQ, very efficient narcissist or psychopath is a strong mask of Seneca and masters of emulating that as well, right? And it's not so much emulation, I wouldn't call it that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's rather, for the mind control at least, that, and actors also, that you get 
they use trauma in order to get you to the fight flight mm -hmm. uh, freeze state where you act out of survival so your special gifts are released from that state is mm -hmm. that's not a normal state you will be hearing things from at long distance or you will be seeing things that from long distance you know mm -hmm. that everything your psychic ability is much greater because you're in a pure survival state mm -hmm. so it's really the brain activity will reduce to the amygdala and the brainstem yeah and then from there out from the amygdala there is a decision made it's beyond you you don't have any conscious awareness of what happens but you get into you fly into action mm -hmm. and so the mind control training is to use the subconscious to go straight into right. action so you bypass the rational mind altogether right. so when you're connecting with someone it feels real even for the actor oh, okay okay it feels real for the agent it feels real for the mind wow. control slave yeah that that's high level mk ultra program and that's also what you mentioned in your story i remember like even the book even you spent apparently some years in germany or other like networks to gonna be trained i mean that's they're highly professionals obviously they know psychology and trauma you know yeah. in and out they just use yeah. it or abuse it for their own sick desires and their own networks absolutely and they also make sure that we the public know nothing about trauma. Yeah. There's wow. this dumbing down of mm -hmm. what trauma really is and the healing and psychologists and everybody has to follow their model, you know, the dumbed down yes. model where we are not allowed to recognize trauma in someone and where, you know, you have a movie and we have like a male protagonist and he behaves really, really badly. And everybody sort of supports this bad behavior until finally there's a breaking point. And then there's this one little trauma in his background, you know, and we're all like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. one little trauma. And that's what the whole movie, you know, like comes out of is like yeah. we go back to it's be become reduced, becomes reduced. When, of course, when you're in mind control, <laughs> you're living through this tremendous trauma all the time. And mm -hmm. then. But then what the public gets is this, um, you know, everything is clinical. When you're depressed, it's clinical. Yes. Yes. When you have a disease, it's hereditary. You know, everything mm. gets, everything, the whole trauma conversation is muted. You know, we bring in false memory syndrome in the 90s. And yes. that's just right now reaching yeah. its end. I'm, um, I'm sure like, I mean, basically, one of goes later on, but I'm sure you might have accused, being accused of that as well, right? False memory making things up and all these kind of things oh yeah all of yeah. it yeah <laughs> all of that so that's but sure. that's that's Annika that's very fascinating that you made I have all these aha moments because looking at the bigger picture how this whole we are also living over the past few years not to get into that but on a like global MK ultra program you know uh, so to speak collective yeah. mass psychosis um, but you're right, because we live, I was talking to my wife Laura the other day the, the biggest issue we live in this intense how I call the matrix is based on this hardcore materialistic view of reality in our and brains. You know, mental illness is just a, you know, a chemical imbalance in the brain. You know, all of that. Take this pill, take that pill, and all of that. While people, you know, the pharmaceuticals are cashing in, and it just suppresses. It numbs you even more down. It makes you even more subjective to the programming. Ironically, because it changes, you know, your whole brain structure to begin with. It's kind of like um, you're giving them what they want, right? And then you have the media and all of that. 
like you mentioned, it's like constantly a subliminal. Everything everything that comes from the outside is flawed. Everything is part of the brainwashing, including the truthers. A lot of what we get from the truthers is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And because I've been, I've been like, I had like, it's ironically for the past few days, I've gone on my own rants and like, because I'm like, I've been in this, you know, like speaking about truth and all of that. But for me, it was always clear to combine the inner and outer. We need to be aware of what's going on, but engage the inner work, the psychological inner work, my own child wounding trauma in, in different ways, my own stuff, my shadow projections and all of that. But yeah. you're right. There's all so much nonsense and manipulation and brainwashing in the mainstream media, but there's so much nonsense in the conspiracy movement as well, which I've especially like as uh, more people have gotten quote unquote red pill of the past few years and you just glue to the screen, like the, you know, armchair conspiracy theorists and they have no discernment. It's just like insanity, you know? So thank you for, sp- for, for speaking on that because I feel that's actually ironically a program as well that is running, you know, to keep people stuck in this whole paranoid black pill conspiracy movement, you know? And I think you're a great example of like, no, these are things that happen. How can I heal from it? How can I use it for healing and, and, and see this in my own journey, not only psychologically and spiritually, which I want to get into as well. But I want to just quote you again, because that kind of summarizes what you just said from your book, where you write, survivors of extreme abuse cannot be possibly be expected to ever go public, considering the extensive trauma and the obvious potential for re-traumatization, not only from retelling of horrific events, but from the massive uncensored victim blaming that should have fallen, I'm sure gaslighting and all of that, not to mention what you just got into a bit, the threats and intimidations tactics by the network. So speaking about the, the last part, because that's really fascinates me because, you know, when, from my understanding, I've studied psychopathy and, and understand, trying to understand the mindset. You know, there's trauma, but there's also like pure lack of conscience and almost the Achilles heel, from my understanding, is that they will never be uh, discovered. They just have this, you know, we will never get caught. It's almost the, the weak point in this sense, you know. Uh, but, you know, how, you know, with your story, because I remember you sharing some things, and I don't know if you mentioned the book, that you even, like, were threatened, like, you have to, like, even, you know, kill another child, kill each other, like this whole hardcore mind call program to keep you in this oh, ring, no, that you is know. that's very much in the book, absolutely. Oh, that's in the yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, because that's kind of like what was the exit as well, right? To get out of the ring. Exactly. And that is the main, you know, that is sort of the the main thing about the book that I hope can be revealed is like you be, really will follow the mindset, you know, because I had to, you, in order to kill, you have to get into that mindset. Mm. That's to say, you know, you mentioned it in the beginning, you don't want to be in a victim state. And I'll go farther and say that, you need to be in a victim state in order mm. to do harm. Mm. So for me, at the point where I was exiting, having to get myself into the state that I had to get into in order to perform this killing, which, by the way, that it wasn't a choice um, so much as the choice was always to do what would be least harmful for the victim. Mm. And in the network, things are set up so that you will very soon understand that the least harmful for the victim is for you to do it. Hmm. So you put in these impossible situations where the least harm is for you to do the harm, the most harm, the worst. Hmm. So healing from killing is very difficult. 
And that's what's taken me so long. You know, I'm almost 60. That's what's taken me so long in my healing. And of course, I continue to heal. But to heal from, you know, that knowledge that you've taken a life, that's very um, challenging because you can't take it back. Yeah. You know, anything that happens to you, maybe you could revive, you could come back, you, you're alive, you know, but if you've taken a life, you can't take it back. And to really get to the place where you understand fully that you didn't want it is, you know, obviously as a child, you have no idea that you cannot separate those things. It's much too complex. You're in it. You're doing it. Same with the sex. You're in it. You're doing it. Your body has responses to it. You, you're, you're made to perform violence. You have your, there's f hormonal and physical releases that happen. Yeah. You cannot separate that from wanting it. So um, that's really taken the longest. And um, I work a lot with other survivors and, and a lot on those, you know, removing the shame of these things and getting to the truth, which was that we never wanted it. Um, we never wanted any of it really, but it was all just coming to us. So that last um, part, you know, the book, the climax of the book really is about taking the reader through that experience so that you can get a real in-depth firsthand experience of what it is like to when you're, when everyone has a killer instinct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in the network, that killer instinct is manipulated and used as a channel. Mm -hmm. So you're forced to do it but it offers a channel for you to now release all your abuse, all mm. the, the stuff that you're carrying around, all the pain that you haven't been able to feel and heal from. It gives you this channel to release it all in this one moment. Mm. And so there is something that happens when you go through it, when you do it, but everyone has that instinct. You yes. know, everybody has fight flight. Yes. Fight means to kill the opponent so that you can be free of the trauma, so that you can be free. So that instinct is then misused very strongly be because those psychopaths are always in that state, if you will. They're always in the sort of like the reptilian yeah. mind. Um, they're not, their limbic brain doesn't work, let's say. Their, their, their emotional brain doesn't work. They just have feelings that are narcissistic, let's say. They feel very sorry for themselves a lot, but they're right. very emotionally, um, completely undeveloped. So um, going through that experience and describing it in the book, uh, it's my hope that when you get this firsthand view of what it is, what it is like, that you can, under you can get more deeper understanding of your own impulses, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. It reminds me a bit, you know, I'm big into shadow work, you know, young in yeah. psychology, you know, Lorna, we, we work with our groups and I have to face myself because what I see happening in the world, especially again, true for movement, not to talk now, project on the truth of movement, but there's no, a lot I of- I want to talk more about that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Because there is a lot of projection happening yeah. for their yeah. own evil, you know what I mean? Because you have been deep into it, but you know, just killing all these psychopaths running, projecting all your hate onto them is not going to change anything. Evil is not going to be eradicated by trying to kill it. And that's right. what they're trying to do, right? They just take them all out, arrest them, wear the mass arrest, let's kill them all, and then we can have 
have a party together. That's not yeah, that and goes. Then, and then you're going to be the killers, and then you're exactly. going to be the psychopaths, and then you're, you know, and then you'll have a new power paradigm. Yeah, exactly. Which is the same power paradigm, just with new people in it. Yeah. Even if that's happening, I don't want to get into like current topics, but Fauci, Gates, and all these Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset, you know, yeah, be aware of it. But I see so much hate projected on these individuals. You become that what you're trying to fight against, right? I have even, uh, Laura, my wife just posted this great quote from uh, from Nietzsche. You know, if you're staring too much into the abyss, the abyss will stare back to you. Be careful that you not, do not become what you fight against. And that's, the, that's you know. Absolutely. I, if you are constantly focused on these very dark topics, yeah. there, as a survivor, I have come across way too many people who came to me as if they're the big hero mm. who helps the poor survivors. Mm. And I never liked them. And there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people. There's a lot of self-appointed heroes out there who are doing the good work. Self-righteous. Against the evil. Yeah. Against, you know, let's get those bad guys. Mm. It is very childish. And those people are often total narcissists. Because and they do it for happens, themselves, right? They feel, oh, I feel I'm so great. I'm this is do about all this. their own shadow. This is <laughs> yeah. all about them. This has nothing to do with the survivors. You know, I'm around these people. They don't see me at all. They're not interested in me, in my story, mm. in what I've been through. They're mm. only interested in that I see them as what they need me to see. Oh, wow. Okay. They are only interested in the, well, those are the people that are, that have the big platforms. Mm -hmm. So again, it's the, if you see anybody with a huge platform, that is to say the hierarchy works like this, right? Yeah. People at the top are the psychopaths who use their privilege and entitlement to pass it on to everybody below until we are in the Western society, the underprivileged who are carrying all the burden of pain for everybody. Yeah. Have no privileges who just have to suffer all the time. That's why poverty is necessary. <laughs> we need exactly. the poor for everybody. Okay, so that's clear. And everybody has a spot there somewhere. Yeah. And everybody participates psychologically by being part of pyramids. There's pyramids yeah. everywhere like that. Yeah. So do you work for a corporation? You have somebody above you. Where are you in the corporation? Where are you in Western society? Okay, that's like a big question about privilege, etc. So we're all somewhere. Okay, we don't choose to be there necessarily. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, some people try to get into a different place, but okay, we just are what we are. Then we have all these smaller triangles. So mm -hmm. down to the familial, we have small families and there is one person who is in charge usually you know in the in the old world triangle there was the man in charge and then there was the women who submissive and then there was the children who have to eat it yeah they have to take it until they're old enough that they have power that they can give it to their kids exactly. and those kids are going to have yeah. to eat it yeah. that's the power abuse in the family now, the power abuse in the family is very important for the psychopaths at the top to continue. Mm. Incest is very important for the psychopaths at the top not to be healed, not to be spoken about, not to be revealed, not to be 
you know, become a national conversation about how prevalent it really is and how much work needs to be done to prevent it. Yeah. Very important because that's how the smallest triangle of power abuse stays intact. Yes. And this is, by the way, used by, you know, someone like Kathy O'Brien, for example, mm. her incestuous father, who was actually mailing out child porn materials, was caught and then recruited by the CIA because he, instead of going to jail, he got to give his daughter up for MK Ultra. Wow. Okay. So that's mm. how it works. So you need yeah. those families, you need that power mm. abuse to exist on a small scale. But any kind of place that you go, there's this hierarchy. So you have um you have triangle, you know, you have those triangles in any kind of organization, in any kind of corporation, but you also have it like to go back to the truthers, when you mm. see that there's a stark hierarchy, that's to say mm. one person at the top. Maybe it's a sort of like a new new age guru, or mm. maybe it's a sort of like a big truther who's on every panel for every discussion mm. about yeah. how are they operating? Who is supporting them? What mm. are they leaving out? Yes. Because there's somebody out there that I could see right away, total megalomaniac, who mm. very much needs, you know, and I think this must be a mind control slave because this person, the way they speak, it's like, whoa. That eloquence, mm -hmm. like I've been trained that way, I know. So I that's know what I'm saying. Like, sorry to interrupt, but that's actually now you're turning what your your own MK Ultra program, which you deprogram yourself from, but you're aware of it, and now your psychic vision has been sharpened, basically, to see through them, right? To yes. see through the mask. Yes. So this person did something very big on an SRA level, and I didn't trust him at all. Mm -hmm. And I saw that this big SRA thing that they did, and I can't even name the name because that's a da dangerous person, mm -hmm. uh, was a mockery. Mm -hmm. So victims are speaking to a, a, a black, black robed judges. I, I, I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this megalomaniac, how does he work? He has, has like he's a top of a paradigm. He's mm -hmm. a top of a power paradigm where he's mm -hmm. a big boss. He's got lots of people working for him, supporting him. Yeah. Everybody has to say he's so wonderful. He's so great. But never mentions the British crown. Mm -hmm. And any survivor that was there that mentioned the British crown, they got into trouble with him because wow. that's what it appears he appears to be protecting. Yeah, yeah. Not well, only so that, he also has, you know, a big house in the center of London. Mm. Like, you do this yeah. work, it's not something that's going to make you very rich, you know. I agree with that. I think I know who and what you're talking about. I've seen it as well. And and, and it confirms my red flags because a lot of, especially in this work, in this truth, as the, you know, some people like how, you know, you're quite making way too much money for speaking out about these kind of things. So what's really going on here? But you're right. I mean, the way I see it, this is how the control works. But you, especially through you lure people, and I call it the shit sandwich, cause, excuse my French, but basically the shit sandwich is like you have, you know, some truth like in the buns, you know, to lure people in, but then it's a disinformation switched and people just swallow it and they get vectored away while, you know, kind of stuck in some rabbit dead all hand, but getting off the path, right? So that's kind but of how it works. how you can recognize it is, is it a, a, an old time paradigm? Like, mm -hmm. is it like... It's not one person at the top who is like getting all the credit and who's got all these volunteers yes. working for uh, free for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. That's and how you can recognize yeah. it. And I think the key point is also what the a lot of I think what I see in the truth and movement. Yeah, there's the concept of controlled opposition, obviously, but on purpose. I think sometimes this word is being thrown away too loosely. This I've been called controlled opposition, like because yeah, me too. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> me too. There you go. You know what I mean? Like you can't win. But I think the issue is for the you know basic psychological trauma perspective. A lot of you know, here's the thing, ironically, like the mainstream calls like, a lot of conspiracy uh, conspiracy theorists mentally ill, you know? And it's not too much about mental <laughs> yeah. illness, but there's trauma and there's some truth in it. A lot of conspiracy theorists, Red Pill people are very mentally not well uh, individuals. <laughs> they're acting from their trauma, their shadow, that gets activated. Then they, uh, you know, find something because they're not happy with their own lives and then get on this cause. I'm like, oh, this is so important. Like, use that, you know, to disassociate or, you know, spiritually or psychologically bypass from what they need to face within themselves. Because what I notice, and that's what I talk about a lot, there's not much, if at all, any self-work in this movement. It's just information-based externally. And then they have these networks and kind of like, especially nowadays with the internet, it's like, it's insane. So it's so refreshing to hear that you see that as well and call it out and, and speak out about it and see through it, because that's a big issue. Oh, gosh. And then there's a leader usually that is doing all the dirty work for them, or there's mm -hmm. like a secret, um, secret leader, secret heroes that are doing all this work behind the scenes that we never get to see yeah. that is all being done. And then we can just sit back behind our computer yes. screen and just trust that it's all happening, people. Yeah. When we have no proof that anything's happening at all. Mm -hmm. It's all crazy. What I hear those stories, the the, the white hat stories, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I am not on board at all yeah everybody the pedophiles being arrested and yeah yeah that's a whole right so in your in your experience so when you became more popular right i'm curious like so you have been then obviously then like you mentioned you notice like oh now people are trying to take advantage of my story and me right so you had to become very vigilant discerning was yeah. it like did you expect that or was it also like a disillusionment oh my god i cannot who can i trust who can i not trust Kind of thing. Oh, that's so good that you're going there. I love this conversation. Okay, yeah. So this is for me was a part of my personal growth to understand if I need to belong anywhere, I'm gonna bet I'm gonna get reeled in. But I'm very I've always been very sensitive to being used because I mm -hmm. I did do almost 30 years of healing before I went public. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. all right, then you know try me and of course i have a naturally rebellious um nature mm -hmm. so um sort of i'll follow my own you know instinct and that's connected to spirit you know yes. feeling that spirit truth is sort of my my was my religion truth so so if so it's by, by falling and 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 getting back up you know um having uh, people interview me and it's like, Oh, and then, you know, uh, like, for example, I, I don't want to do interviews if they're going to be behind a paywall mm -hmm. uh, or I don't want to do interviews if it's going to uh, support one platform with a very strong ideology on one side or the other side, mm -hmm. you know? So I've been increasingly more careful who to speak to. And uh, you know, so that concludes today. I say, I say no a lot. I say no mm -hmm. a whole lot mm -hmm. uh, to anybody who wants to interview me. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, that, and then my story was was picked up anyway in 2020 by the QAnons. And then, very interesting is was this was the time when we were preparing this lawsuit. So now this big name family knows 
that I might be filing a lawsuit. And let's just say SRA was not connected to QAnon at -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. But within that time, within from the time that we filed this complaint with them, not in a docket because it was never filed, but from the time that we filed, we sent them the complaint, the draft of the complaint, which included one, the, the way I had met this person, as I said earlier, this was a ritual mm. where a child was killed. Mm-hmm. That child's blood was collected and drank. Wow. So they drank the blood. Mm. That was in there. Yeah. And wow. then what started to happen? Months later, some months later, there were yoga influencers that literally were telling people in the yoga world now, people, it went, but also went on PBS and did interviews and so forth and saying, people, don't be so naive as to believe yeah. that the elites kill children and drink their blood. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Don't believe that. Yeah. So, so several months later, this is the thing that gets picked up and ridiculed and it gets connected to QAnon and becomes now a far right wing conspiracy yes. theory, mm-hmm. fascist conspiracy theory. So by the time if we would have filed that lawsuit, by the time it would have been filed, filed in August of 2020, it would have been a crazy conspiracy story but it wasn't when when we filed this when we filed it wow so that's that's how how the media that ridicules it thank but thanks for sharing this uh because i wanted to ask you about this as well because i've been um part of the i live in arizona now but i've been lived in la for 25 years big i'm also a big yogi i've been in this in the yoga community because laura and i also we have hit articles have been written by us by the Conspirituality guys, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course I don't know. So, exactly. Some very toxic people. I know these individuals from back then. They're interestingly also, they are self proclaimed atheists but teach yoga. So, that's that's a fascinating, uh, you know, and they paradox. Mock anything having to do with God. Mock, yeah, exactly. And they're, ext- you know, extremely I mean, just, just talking, excuse me again, just talking shit, just talking constantly from this higher, like holier than thou, we know everything, and this is the way it is, and everybody else is wrong. Well, there but, you have it again. You know, no, <clears throat> no interest in their own shadow. Basically. Exactly. Like how? Why am I exactly? Exactly. And a lot of privilege, also a lot of male privilege there. That that is there. not three guys. Like, come on, white guy. You know, you know. For me, it's always truth mix of lies. This whole Q phenomenon is this whole topic on itself, but it exposed a lot of people in the wellness slash yoga community. You know what I mean? Who kind of like also took very, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, and ridiculing something that needs, you brought up, like you started talking about this new experience years before. I mean, like I mentioned, we were talking. Uh, yeah, right. I was now called <laughs> QAnon conspiracy, whereas I've been out since 2013, you know, and nobody yeah. heard of Q. Exactly. Wow. So I'm glad we touched upon this whole topic as well. The truth, like <laughs> People that's awesome. in the yoga world would send me their <laughs> newsletters, which said, don't believe this crap. Yeah. People who know my story, but wow. somehow didn't connect me with SRA, which mm-hmm. was now being vilified and connected to QAnon. So yeah. there's this, you know, co- this cognitive dissonance. There. Yeah. No, you know my story. I have protected you from the gory details. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have maybe not mentioned drinking the blood of the children before because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yes, yes. Then this comes back to me as like, 
don't believe this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So um, we at the end of the first hour. So there's still, I feel we just scrapped the surface. <laughs> because I really want to talk more, especially in the second hour, I also want to the healing journey. And now you have an ma- amazing project going on, which I've been aware of for many years, uh, prison yoga, you know, teaching yoga in, in, in prison. I want to hear your spiritual journey because it's very important how yoga, Paramahansa Yogananda, had a effect on the spiritual journey, your psychological healing journey, trauma work, and all of that, the modalities that have really helped you. Because I think that can help a lot of people nowadays. Because the, the biggest part, again, for survivors like you is, is what you mentioned before. And we see this in our work and myself, this internalized shame. Shame is like what keeps everything going, What how they used, you know, that's why they made you kill this child. They know exactly how to use shame and guilt against you to protect themselves because you will never speak about it, you know, may even take your own life, you know, because of, because shame and guilt is what drives people to suicide usually, right? And you really have overcome this. It's, it's amazing. So just for our listeners, again, I want to like people really applaud You can get this on Amazon, I would suppose, uh, that book. Well, it's, you can't find it in a search on Amazon, weirdly, okay. but you, if you go to Amazon, the best way is to go to my website, AnnikaLucas.com, and okay. there are all the links. Yeah. Because uh, it's not easy to find in an Amazon search. You'll yeah. find only at the moment, you'll only find the Kindle version, which is fine. But yeah. the paperback, you'd have to go to books and then do a search. Excellent. So I'm going to link to your website. I'm going to make also direct links to the Amazon book link itself. Quest for Love, a More of a Child Sex Life by Aneka Lucas. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. So we'll be right back for the second hour uh, from uh, people who are not, members yet you can sign up at veilofreality.com gives us gives you insight into a lot of deeper topics we cannot usually share in the public especially nowadays and um, with that being said we take a little break and we'll be right back thanks so much Alec. <laughs> 